Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you today. Uh, To our friends watching online, let me just say this. Thanks for being a part of the Coastal family. We're so glad you're tuning in today. But here's a challenge for you. Leave us a comment in the chat throughout the service today. We'd love to hear from you. So as Pastor Chris and Pastor Scott just shared, I am Chris Jones, and I am our church's outreach pastor. Let me just say, what a treat it has been uh, just to be able to have the opportunity to come up here and close out this series, Summer Reading. Now, we've been exploring the Christian classics for several weeks now, and as many of you already know, because I had an opportunity to preach a previous message in this series, I absolutely love this particular series. And today we're going to be exploring the most classic of the books of all the ones that we've done over this past series. Or if you, if I think probably a better way to say it is this is the oldest book in the series. And that book is called The Pilgrim's Progress. Now it was written by a man named John Bunyan who was born in England in 1628. He was largely uneducated, he was poor, and he lost his mother at the, at the very early age of 16. He would go on to enlist as a soldier and would find himself in a very tumultuous time in English history. You see, during the time, uh, there was this English civil war that was happening. And, assault, and essentially what was happening is the, war, the, the country itself was divided into two different factions, if you will. There were the parliamentarians and then there were the loyalists. And both were in dispute over two things. One, over how England was going to be governed and two, over issues of religious freedom. Bunyan would be married in his early 20s, and it is recorded in history that he would say that he came to the Christian faith largely because of his wife's influence. But ultimately, he would become a deacon in the church. And it wasn't long after when he became a deacon in the church that he soon discovered this love for both preaching and in writing books. But the fighting in England against King Charles I and his loyalists, who were predominantly Catholic, mind you, had resulted in these loyalists, if you will, attacking and pursuing these parliamentarian-supporting preachers who themselves were largely Puritan in belief. And it wasn't long before Bunyan's desire to preach God's word that, the, that got him into trouble, simply because it had become illegal for him to preach in these non-sanctioned places as declared by the king. And so on November 12th of 1660, John Bunyan would be arrested for preaching in a field near a farmhouse and thus began this 12-year-long imprisonment for illegally preaching at an unsanctioned location. And it is believed that during this 12-year prison term that Bunyan penned the book that we're using as a springboard today, The Pilgrim's Progress. And now because it was penned in 1600s English, I shall henceforth preach thy remainder of thy message I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just grateful that somebody actually laughed because I was actually would be terrified if you didn't. So I'm just kidding. Uh, But seriously, it is a very highly impactful book because the Pilgrim's Progress has literally been translated into over 200 different languages. The story itself is known as an allegory. If you don't know what an allegory is, it's essentially a literary term that means a story or a poem or a picture that can essentially be interpreted to reveal some hidden meaning, typically a religious, moral, or political one. And so this book that we're looking at today is The Pilgrim's Progress is actually an allegory of the Christian spiritual journey. And unlike the other classics that we've explored over the past several weeks, this book is indeed a novel. 
And the main character in the book is a man by the name of Christian. And Christian has this life-altering encounter with another man by the name of Evangelist. And Evangelist shows him this great book. But then he goes on to advise Christian that he needs to flee without delay and take with him as many people as he can and run towards this place called the Celestial City because the city in which he was dwelling in had been set for destruction. So Christian takes this message that he receives from Evangelist and he runs and he starts begging his family to come with him. He urges others to flee with him, but they only mock him, they ridicule him, assume that he's somehow fallen mentally ill, off his rocker, if you will, and they just make fun of him. But Christian, upon hearing the truth of the message, leaves behind his entire life, everything and everyone he loves, and begins to travel towards this place called the Celestial City. And on this journey, he encounters a number of different characters, of which a few actually encourage him along the way. But mostly, the characters that he runs into are those that are bent on getting Christian off track, bent on keeping him from being committed and focused and from reaching his final destination. Again, as I just shared with you a couple moments ago, this book is a literary work that describes the life of the Christian spiritual journey and the hearing of the message of salvation and the response to that message. You see, the implications of the message not only impacting life here on earth, but the eternity that is to come. And so this book, although nothing more than a novel written by a poor man all the way back in the 17th century, has not only stood the test of time, if you will, but is continuing to have implication and relevance to the believer here in 2022. So, in thinking about Christian, I'm not talking about the character in the book, mind you, but the Christian, the believer in Jesus Christ, what are some of the points of implication and relevance to us today? Well, I think the first one is this. We're all on a journey. Now, whether this be something new to you or you've known this for years, like the character Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, we are all on this journey. And this journey actually begins at the moment of conception in our mother's womb. And at different places on this journey, there are different challenges that we all face, challenges of varying degree and intensity at different points in time. But we are all generally heading in the same direction to this place called eternity. And in eternity, there are two final destinations. There is a place of glory, or as the Bible likes to call it, a place called heaven. And then there is an alternate place, a place of suffering and eternal separation from God, a place called hell. Spiritually, we're all on the move, you and I. And whether you be in your late teens or early 20s, this journey, this thing called life just starting out, or you're well advanced in years, this journey is indeed fleeting. It is moving very fastly. And we are on a journey of eternal implications that's certainly short and incredibly fast. Listen to James chapter four and verse 14. It says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It is here a little while and then it is gone. The psalmist would write in Psalms 39 verse four through five, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. Friends, what we often fail to realize is that forward motion is happening in the moments when we are awake, but it is also happening when we are asleep. Forward motion is happening with every swipe of our smartphones. It's happening with every episode that we're watching on Netflix. 
In fact, with every single beat of our hearts, we are one beat closer to this place called eternity. In fact, this message today, being just a little shy of 30 minutes in length, we will all be 30 minutes closer to eternity when I say the final amen. Now, we don't typically think like this. You likely weren't thinking about it before I just mentioned it, right? It likely hadn't crossed your mind. And for some, it's likely never crossed your mind. But that's exactly the point. We need to be reminded that our lives are not stationary. Our lives here on earth with our jobs and our finances and our homes is not all that there is. We are on a journey. And it's not as long as a journey as we'd like to think. In fact, when we consider this idea that our days are in fact numbered, that there is exactly an endpoint with eternal implications, mind you, it hopefully causes us to pause and to evaluate the decisions that we're making and the things that we're pursuing, especially in light of what we just read in God's word. Friends, time on earth is flying by. What are we doing with the limited amount of time that we've been given? On this journey, our lives are described as being nothing more than the morning fog. We're here for a moment, and then we are gone. Not only are we on a journey, one that is this incredibly brief, but it is in fact filled with difficulties. Now, I don't want to ruin the book for those who haven't read it and plan on reading it, but the main character, Christian, as I shared a few moments ago, just encounters challenge after challenge on this journey. You see, he has his eyes and his heart locked on this place called the Celestial City, but he just seems to encounter character after character who simply want to thwart him on his journey, to get him off path. He comes across characters like obstinance, lazy, and arrogance. You see, these are just, in the book, a bunch of characters. But in real life, they make up just a few of the attitudes that can make us inherently dangerous to ourselves. Let's think about it. We are all on this spiritual journey. Thereby, an obstinate attitude would work to convince us that the journey isn't worth taking seriously. Reasoning with us that it's all foolishness, that it would be better for us to turn around and return to our old way of doing things. A lazy attitude acknowledges that, yes, there are potential dangers on the journey, but it's too indifferent and too consumed by the worldly pleasures of this life to be concerned about the traps and snares that are along the way. An arrogant attitude insists that, hey, it's every man for himself. We have to somehow find the strength that we need to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and do things for ourselves. There's no need to depend on God when you can just simply toughen up and do things for yourself. Now, these are just a few of the characters, or I should say attitudes, that we encounter on the journey. And you can likely think of a million others, and they're all dangerous. They're so incredibly dangerous because they are bent on one thing, and that one thing is preventing you and I from experiencing the blessings that we can experience along the journey, but could also prevent us from experiencing the journey that we would receive at the final destination. And these attitudes are simply used by our enemy to get us spiritually off track. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter seven, verses 13 through 14. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and this gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Here's Jesus, he's describing the journey towards God's kingdom as a narrow path. 
And there are just too many things that are calling out our names in our spiritual periphery, and they're working to get us off the path to God's eternal kingdom. Again, the journey is so brief, and it's filled with intensity and difficulty. Interestingly, there's a point in the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, where Christian encounters this place called the Hill of Difficulty. And there are times where Christian will find himself sapped of all of his strength, thinking he can go no further. He feels like he can't take another step, that the climb in this Hill of Difficulty has become too steep. And he grieves and he despairs because he thinks he's not going to make it to his final destination. But what Christian doesn't realize at the time is that although, yes, the climb is difficult, It's making him stronger. With every step that he resolves to take, his muscles get just a little bigger. With every step, his dependence upon God solidifies. With every step, his faith sinks just a little bit deeper. Friends, difficulties are not pleasant, but they are sometimes the tools that our Lord uses to develop us as his children, and in them, through faith, can actually make us stronger. James chapter two, verses one through four says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be complete, perfect and complete, needing nothing. Deuteronomy 31 and verse six says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is your Lord, your God, who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Again, life can be like an uphill climb. And at times in this life, we'll be able to run right up it. But other times, circumstances would cause us to be forced down to a walk. And yes, there'll even be times when we'll be on our hands and and on our knees, just clawing and crawling, just struggling because the struggle in life is real. But be encouraged. Keep the way of the straight and narrow path. Keep our eyes on Jesus and don't look for the smooth paths and the shortcuts or the compromises because Jesus Christ is the only way. In fact, the Bible teaches that Jesus would say this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus would also say, in this world, you will have difficulties, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Jesus is promising us that we're going to face hills of difficulty on this journey. And we're going to face many giants along the way. Perhaps the giants of anxiety and depression. Not feeling as if we measure up. Illnesses, depression, not feeling as if we measure up. And there's a ton of others more. And sometimes these hills will be seemingly so large and so loud and so discouraging that there will be times that we'll think that the only thing that we can do is turn back and go in the direction in which we came. But it's in those words, remember the words of Jesus. And remember the words of the Apostle Paul when he says this, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Sometimes when crawling proves to be difficult, it's okay to take a rest for a quick season. But no matter how hard it might get on this journey, our only true option is to take the next step and then the next step and then the next. So we're on this journey We've already established that it's fleeting like a vapor. It's filled with all these distracting voices and attitudes, riddled with all these arduous hills of difficulties. But then there's this. This world is not our home. This is not the end result. Everything that we see, nor is it our final destination. 
This is not the place for us to set down our roots. And while this idea that believers are pilgrims in a foreign land may actually seem odd, that's exactly who we are. We are in transition. We are a migratory people making our way to our permanent dwelling place. Now, whether you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and his offer of salvation, or if you've decided that it's all just a bunch of hocus pocus, we are all headed to a final stop in this physical life. And there are two realities that we must consider and we are taking into consideration whether we realize it or not, and that being the temporal, or the temporary, if you will, and the eternal. And let me just lovingly say this as best as I can. Don't hedge your bets on the temporary, because the temporary is going away. In John, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17, it says, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You see, this world and everything around you is fading away. And no matter which translation you use for this particular passage of Scripture, it translates and thereby says the exact same thing. This world, it's dying. The New International Version says, the world and its desires pass away. The English Standard Version says, and the world is passing away. Even the old King James Version says, and the world passeth away. Friends, this world is not a permanent place. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 14 through 16 says, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home that is yet to come. In considering this idea of the temporary and the eternal, in the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, there are two characters that Christian encounters one by the name of patience, the other by the name of passion. And if you were to read the book, you would learn that patience knows and lives with this idea that the things of this dying world have absolutely no value to him at all. Whereas passion, on the other hand, he burns bright and he burns hot in the now, wanting and yearning for whatever's available to him in the moment, even sacrificing the better treasure now for the momentary pleasure that is before him. In his mind, the material blessings being greater than all the blessings that can be received in heaven. And passion wastes away not only what's in his hands right now, but throws away what could be and ultimately finds himself holding nothing. I love these two quotes from the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. The first one says, it's best not to crave after the things of the world, but rather to wait for the treasures of the world to come. The other quote says, our natural desires for the things of this world are very strong and adamantly opposed to spiritual desires for the world to come. It's like they are close neighbors who will never get along. Allow me to share with you a brief, a brief uh, illustration. Now, those who serve with me on outright, outreach on a regular basis, they know that I love to take pictures with my cell phone. And I think I actually drive them absolutely crazy. But here is a rope. Now, I'm not going to throw this on the floor. It's not going to turn into a snake or anything. Uh, it's just your basic rope. There's nothing special about it. And I don't want to claim this sermon illustration as being my own because others, countless others, have come before me and they've used the same illustration. But I think it really illustrates my point really well. On this one end here, the one in orange represents the temporary, the world we find ourselves in today. Everything we hold dear right here 
life as we know it today, fits right here in this space of time known as the temporary. Now, I want you to imagine this other end of the rope is having no ending. It's infinite in length. The rest of this rope represents eternity, and it goes on and on, and friends, it has no ending. But so much of our lives, so much blood, sweat, and tears invested in this place called the temporary. Gaining stuff, building careers, raising families, taking vacations, so much energy is invested here. In fact, nearly all energy is expanded in this place called the temporary. But in this place called the eternal, we rarely think about it. We rarely ever think about it. You see, we can see the temporary because it's right here in front of our faces. Every single moment of every single day. You hear phrases out in the world like, you got to grab life by the horns. Things like, hey friend, leave no opportunity on the table. Or perhaps you've heard this one, you only live once. But the reality is, this world is not our home. We're on our way if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, to a far better place. And friends, all the stuff that you are accumulating here and the temporary, it is going to go away. But everything you are sowing and planting in the eternal will live on and on forever. Colossians 3, and, uh, Colossians 3 2 says, think about the things of heaven and not the things on earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18 says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Again, friends, this world, it's not our home. And we talked about how Jesus says in the word that the path to glory is indeed narrow. And it's on the sides of this path, though, that Satan, our enemy, wages his most effective battles against us. His weaponry always indeed varies from situation to situation and from person to person. Perhaps as an example for, for you on one side of the path is discontentment. And it's here you find yourself feeling as if you don't have enough. You covet what others have and when it has you, the pursuit of having more and more becomes the prevailing attitude in your life. And before you know it, you find yourself off of the path. As an illustration perhaps for someone else, the other side of this path could be shame. Here dwells the lies that you'll never, ever measure up. Here is the place where the memories of everything you've ever done wrong, every person you've ever hurt or cheated, everything you've ever stolen, and the memories of your failed relationships dwell here. And it's just off this narrow path that Jesus is talking about in his word that you'll actually hear the sneers of you're never going to be good enough. You'll hear that you're, you're rotten all the way to the core. And it is these insults and these jabs and these whispers being nothing more than an all-out effort to get you off the narrow path. To simply get us to default back to sowing into the temporary and neglecting the eternal. But let me be an encouragement to you today by simply saying this. No matter what difficulty comes in your life, friends, you stay on the path and take your next step. So we talked about the idea that we're all on a journey. And this, is, this journey is not only brief, but it's full of trouble because this world is not our home. And then finally, there's this. Regardless of where we are heading, we are indeed taking others with us. Now, before we get into this other, book, this other point here, I want to ask you a question. And that question is this. When you think of the most important person in your life, aside from Jesus, who comes to mind right away? 
Perhaps for some of you, it is a spouse. Perhaps for others, it's a child or your children. Maybe for some, it's a parent. Perhaps it's a good friend or someone you're just incredibly close to. Who is the most important person in your life that comes to mind right away? And as you think about who that person might be here in this moment, consider what God's word has to say about where we are headed, whether it be good or whether it be bad, and how we are indeed taking others along with us. Proverbs 22 and 6 says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 8 says, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Proverbs 22 and 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So often we tend to think that the decisions we make or the indifference we display somehow only affects ourselves, that it only affects the place called the temporary. But I would dare say most often our decisions, our actions, and our attitudes directly impacts eternity, especially in the eternity of other people. Whether it be our children or our coworkers, our family members, or, or whoever it might be, friends, people are watching us. And whether we realize it or not, we all have influence and we are influencing other people. And truth be told, others often suffer because of our believers' ungodly conduct, especially when we claim to the world that we are a people of faith. Now, we've got a really big day coming up. It's on Sunday, September 18th, and it is called Friends Day here at Coastal. And let me just say, what a better way to lead others in the right direction than through this idea of a simple invitation. Now, I know there might be some here thinking today that they're afraid of what someone might say to an invitation to church. Well, if I may, let me alleviate some of those concerns by simply saying this. There has been a lot of research and surveys surrounding this idea of inviting people to church. And you know what the research has found? That most people say to an invitation to church, you're going to be surprised. It's thank you. Thank you. So let me ask you, who are you inviting to our big day? Again, friends, people are watching us, especially if you are a believer. And most often we are being watched by an unbelieving world that would love absolutely nothing more than to discredit you and what you say you stand for. It's why how we conduct ourselves as a church, not on Sunday, where we put on our Sunday's best in terms of attitude, but every other day of the week that matters. Every social media post, every comment we make to our friends, families, and coworkers, every activity that we choose to participate in, how we invest both our time and energy is in essence, friends, setting the course to the unbelieving world. It is indeed leadership to our children, to our spouses, to our parents, neighbors, co-workers, and even sometimes to the very people you're sitting around here today, your church family. You see, the unbelieving world gropes around in the dark trying to find its way. And it has this tendency to just grab onto whatever it can find. But not so with the believer. Because with the believer, there is a light inside of you that shines brightly, casting out the darkness as the Bible describes in a way that the darkness cannot hide. You see, inside of you, you have this spirit, God's Holy Spirit, that dwells in you. And it is this light and this spirit 
that leads others to this place of saving salvation. We are leading others, but the question for us today is, where are we leading them to? So at the beginning of this message, I shared that the things we're going to discuss were going to be a revelation to some or something new or something you've already heard before, a reminder, if you will, of sorts. But whether it be something new or something you've already heard before, the message does require a response from us. Again, you and I are on a journey, and this journey is ultimately going to lead to a final destination. And this journey is fast, it's flying by, and with every inhalation and exhalation of our lungs, we are just one moment closer to eternity. And this path that we're on is narrow, and it's arduous, and it's full of difficulties and challenges. And so many get drawn off of the path to their own destruction. Yet the believer is encouraged to stay on the narrow path and to keep walking. You can be rest assured, you will hear the calls from the left, and at times you'll hear them from the right, and at times you'll even smell the stench itself of enticement. But you, Christian, be encouraged, stay on the path, and keep walking. If people in your life are unwilling to walk with you, you, Christian, stay on the path and keep walking. Circumstances happening, difficult ones, out of your control. Friend, just keep walking. Why? Because this world is not your home. You are a pilgrim, and you're on your way to your real home. And don't invest everything in the temporary of this life that we just talked about in that illustration. But look to that which lasts forever. That which we invest in eternity will be what goes with us, yet the temporary will simply stay behind and die with the rest of the world. And friends, consider who's watching you. Consider who God has blessed you with the opportunity to lead to him. To those people in our lives, will we be regarded as hopeful or will we be known to them as being hopeless? Who are you leading towards glory? Who by your actions are you leading towards Christ? And friend, if you have not received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, allow me to say this as lovingly as I can. You're headed in the wrong direction. You see, the Bible tells us that there is one name by which a man can be saved, and that man's name is Jesus. And the reality is, friends, he wants to journey with you from the very beginning all the way to the final destination. But the question for us is simply this. Will you let him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. We thank you, Lord, for reminding us, Lord, that this world that we are living in is not a permanent dwelling place, Lord, but we are on our way to a place called eternity. Father, our prayer would be that, Lord, that with this reminder to those of us who believe, Lord, that we would be mindful of the decisions that we are making, the actions that we take, that, Lord, we would be committed, Lord, to investing into that which is eternal and not allow ourselves, Lord, to simply just be drifted off into the temporary. And, Father, we pray for those, Lord, who are hearing this message, Lord. Maybe they're hearing this message for the very first time. They're tuning in online for the first time, Lord, who would say that, I'm investing so much in the temporary. I've never even given the idea of eternity consideration. Lord, your word teaches us, Lord, that you would desire that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so, Lord, for those who might be wanting to invest in eternity, for those who might be wanting in a relationship with you, we pray they would just pray a prayer like this. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for my sins. 
Lord, I pray that, Lord, that you would receive me, Lord, as I receive you as my Lord and Savior and accept your gift of salvation. Begin a work in me, Lord, that would begin on the inside and make its way out and help me too to be able to, Father, invest completely and totally in this idea of eternity. Father, we thank you for the message. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you, Lord. We just give you the praise and the honor and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.